Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth from Forbes. And I'm Sam Abu-Al-Samad from Navigant Research. And Rebecca is off somewhere in uh, California today driving the, uh, the new Subaru Outback. Outback. The Outback, yes, that's it. Yeah. Um, so she'll be back with us next time. And, uh, you know, anytime there's a new Subaru, it's kind of a, it's an event. The Outback doesn't seem to get refreshed all that much, so that's kind of a it's kind of a thing. Yeah, well, I mean, Subaru doesn't have a huge lineup. They don't have that many models, and you know, they they get replaced on a fairly regular cadence, you know, like every five or six years. But still, when you don't have that many models, you know, it's not like they have a, a launch every other week like some companies do. That's true. I would like yeah. them to uh, bring a new SVX. I think that would be fantastic. <laughs> I, I, you know, I always liked the design of the SVX. It was a really cool looking car. It was weird, um, and that's why it's perfect. Well, yeah, but it it was, it was, it was different. I, I don't know that I'd call it weird. It it was not it was not classically Subaru weird. It it was more it was a more avant garde design, um, I, or more more modernist more modern design. Um, that was certainly out of character for Subaru. And it wasn't quite like anything else on the road. Yeah, um, well, well, I think it was a Jujaro design. I think. Yeah, it was. And they like they, it wore its um, its shortcomings as its trademarks, like the little fighter jet window within a window. Yeah, that everybody remembers. And the reason why it had those windows was because the door couldn't hold the large piece of glass. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was clever. <sighs> Uh, details. It was, a, it was yeah. a good solution. It had it had the six, yeah. and it, I think it cost like thirty grand back in the nineties. So, yeah, it was fairly expensive, and it didn't sell very many of them. But, um, but it, it was a it was a neat looking car. Yeah, I they should do that again. Although you know they do have a not, not to get off on a super change, but they do have they do have the the coupe. So they're all kind of all set. So yeah, kind of. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on. We're going to talk about. The cars that we're driving and the Corvette and some other things, you know, where our conversation leads. So let's jump into 
what we've been driving. Uh, so Sam, what have you been driving? Uh, well, I was in the uh, must. I was finally in a Shelby GT350 Mustang for a week, and it was a glorious week. It was fantastic. Yeah, that sounds um, like a good yeah, time. After <laughs> after what three years after it launched, I finally got to spend some extended time with a GT350. And it was all I expected. Wait, was this the first time you've driven one? Like for that period? No, uh, actually, well, I drove one, uh, what, about a month and a half ago uh, at M1 Concourse uh, for a track day. Uh, that was the first time I had driven the GT350. Um, but this is the first time I've, you know, spent extended time with it and, you know, lived with it for a week. And oh, I love that. Engine. Oh, yeah. You know, and I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to miss engines like the Voodoo V8 when they when they eventually go away yeah and you know it's funny because i actually uh earlier well I, I, last week at the end of last week i spent some seat time in a mustang uh, the actually the 10 millionth mustang it had stickers on the doors and it had plaque on the dash that said so um which was <laughs> interesting but it it was just a regular sort of a gt convertible and i didn't expect to really be all that impressed but for the money that is even just the GT is a hell of a car and the, the coyote V8 is fantastic. And, and just, but the voodoo is, yeah, that, that is an engine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, anything that'll rev past 8,000 RPM, you know, without, without complaining at all and making the sound that that thing makes, uh, is, is something you just, you gotta love it, yeah. you know? And, it's it's one of those things that you know we probably won't at least not from um, you know from companies like Ford uh, we probably you know won't see many engines like that again in the future um, you know I mean we've got the the GT five hundred coming in a few months uh, which is sort of somewhat related to this but it doesn't have the flat plane crank you know it's got a, a beefed up version of the the five point two liter block. Um, and it's got a big honking supercharger bolted to the top. Uh, you know, it puts out, you know, another 240 horsepower more than this thing does. But, you know, there's something about a naturally aspirated V8 that revs past 8,000 RPM and just makes glorious sounds out the exhaust pipe that, you know, for, for somebody who's a, an automotive enthusiast, you know, you gotta love it, you know, and, um, <laughs> my wife and I were, took it to, to go to the lake on, on Saturday. And, um, you know, when I got, you know, past, you know, I got to a spot where, um, you know, it wasn't going to disturb too many of the locals when I, <laughs> Come on, when you I want to see the up. birds fly yeah, out of the trees. I, I just, it, well, I was going past the nature preserve. So, <laughs> oh, well. uh, you know, I, I stepped on it and, you know, went, you know, rev, you know, accelerated to uh, a fairly healthy speed a brisk pace and and then and then backed off you know on, you know because i know that there was a, a risk that there might be uh uh police officers in the not too distant uh future and uh, you know then when after i did that and i saw that there was nobody around she said do that again <laughs> so even though she, even though she didn't she wasn't fond of you know trying to get in and out of the the big recaro seats um she did like the sound of that car. Yeah, that that's a hard car to dislike. And I think the thing that you said, too, that's important to remember about the GT350 is that you lived with it for a week. Because it's for what it does, it's really quite a capable sports car. But you can live with it. Even even with it being sort of so edgy, 
you could daily drive that thing. I commuted in it. It was, you know, it, it's not the most comfortable, cushy car, but it certainly didn't have any problem. But it, but it, but it also doesn't it doesn't punish yeah. you either. I mean, it's got the the Magna Ride dampers on there are standard now. They used to be an option on the base GT three fifty. They're they're now standard on all GT three fifties. You know, and those things do you know a remarkable job of providing a reasonable amount of compliance while still being able to tighten up almost instantaneously and keep the body from from moving around, which is a great thing. And then um, the you know the other thing about the Mustang in general, you know, compared to uh, especially compared to a Camaro, is you can actually see out of it. Uh, you know, it, it has a, a decent sized trunk. You can you can see out of it in all directions. So it's it's not an unreasonable car to live with on a daily basis. Now, the 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 downside, you know, one of the downsides is that it does also come with Michelin Pilot Sport Cup Two tires on it, <laughs> which you probably don't want to take this thing out in the rain. Um, you know, especially if it's been if it's accumulated any significant mile, number of miles yeah. uh, behind the, the you know at the hands of various members of the automotive media. Um, you know, if the tires are fresh, you might be able to get by in a, in a rainstorm. But in general, you probably want to avoid rain with those tires. But on dry pavement, they are fantastic. They're, you know, what I saw at the M1 concourse is they are, they're very forgiving tires. Um, you know, when you do approach their limits, you know, you can, you can get to their limits and, you know, you can get it to slide past the peak of traction. And, you know, they don't just snap away on you. They, they, they give up traction in a nice progressive manner, you know, so that you don't have to be, um, you know, a professional race driver to to use a car, use a car with tires like that on it. They, you know, they're they're relatively easy to drive. Yeah, on. are those the ones that are actually the Mercedes compound? Or maybe uh, I'm no. that's going to be the the five hundred. I can't remember off the top of my head, but um, I. Th- I know for the GT350, uh, Ford Performance actually worked with Michelin to uh, develop a custom compound specifically for the Mustangs. And I think the GT500 is also getting a special Ford compound. Uh, but uh, I'll have to double check on that. But the GT350 definitely has specially formulated tires. Um, specifically. They Mustang. sure they work. I can't remember. I had it last, I think last year. Maybe it was... Maybe it was even earlier. Maybe it was the summer before. I can't even remember. I just, it just left quite an impression when I had that car for a week, and I can't remember whether I drove it in the rain. I can see how it might get a little squirrely. Any any of those cars, yeah. uh, if you treat them with respect, though, it's the Hellcat was the same way. You if you're not stupid with it, <laughs> you're just, you're not going to get in trouble. Yeah, I mean, don't you know? Don't don't be like one of those idiots you know that you see the videos of driving away from a cars and coffee event. You know, and hammering the the gas pedal and you know spinning it around and you know immediately crashing into stuff. Don't be that yeah. person. You know, but you know treat it with treat it with the respect that any car that makes five hundred horsepower or more you know deserves, and you know you'll be fine. You can you can enjoy driving it. Um, you know, it's you know it's certainly you know in tw- in twenty nineteen you know any car with that level of performance is more than you can reasonably use on public roads, you know, at any kind of same speed. But you speed. can try. Um, <laughs> but you, you can certainly try. But, you know, at the very least, you know, 
if you, you know, if you want to take it to a track day, you can have a ball with this thing, you know, in a reasonable manner. You know, you're as as long as you, as I said, treat it with respect. You're probably not going to crash the thing, you know, and you can you can turn some great lap times with it and have a great time. Work on your driving skills, and you know, then drive it home. And, you know, just behave. Well, the thing is, too, you know, like it, like you said, if you treat it with respect, it's it's they're not hairy like you'd expect. You know, they're not they're not like the old school cars where they're really cammy. So there's nothing until you get up on the on the cam and then they just they're kind of hard to control. It, it's it's all very, very docile, even though it packs more performance and just about anything that came before. And it's a deal. It's like 60 grand to start. And it uh, comes with a, I think they're calling it the GT 350 track attack, um, which is a driving experience at one day event. So you can actually, you can buy it and then learn how to ring it out, uh, which I would highly recommend when you get a car like that. A, you get to see what it can do in a controlled environment and B, it gives you a little bit more of a, an understanding of what it can do, what it can't do, and what you should and shouldn't do with it. Um, so it just, you know, that's the thing that that the Mustang has always done is just really delivered a lot of performance for the money. And sixty grand may seem expensive, but I, I really don't think so when you take it all as as a piece. You know, it's a it's a good handling car. It rides well. It certainly it's not just all engine. Um, it's probably the best of its class. Yeah, very easily. Um, you know, it in a straight up drag strip run. It's you know, it's not going to beat a, a Hellcat Challenger, um, but it's definitely going to outhandle it. Uh, you know, and under some conditions, uh, you know, certain certain Camaro configurations are probably going to lap faster. You know, like uh, a ZL or yeah, ZL one Camaro. You know, it's probably going to be a little quicker around a track. But in, in terms of that balance of something that you can drive every day and have, you know, a hellacious performance and, you know, that looks really cool, you know, it's, it's definitely hard to beat a, a GT350. Yeah. And so, you know, we're kind of embarrassed for choice, right? You've got the Camaros, the ZL1, like you said, the 1LE, uh, this thing, the, the, um, the GT350. So I, you can pick your brand like you used to. And and of course the yeah. Hellcats, of course, which the Hellcats, they're a little bit of a different thing, and those they are slightly hairy. <laughs> you gotta, yeah. you gotta watch it. With the well, and you know, no doubt the you know the GT five hundred is going to have you know probably a similar degree of hairiness to when it arrives, uh, you know, to a Hellcat, you know, because it's it's going to have you know seven hundred and sixty horsepower, you know, God knows how much torque. <laughs> That's so um, absurd. <laughs> I know it's it's nuts. I mean, you know, nobody needs that kind of power on the street. Um, you know, anything anything over two hundred horsepower is probably severe. You know what? I'll take it. But yeah, it sure does sometimes. Um, so, what was your routine when you you got in? It? Would I had a certain routine when I'd get in the GT three fifty? Especially, I would a I parked it in the parking garage the whole week. I had it just so I could hear it start. <laughs> uh, but then I would also, you know, make sure I had all the settings correct every time. Um, yeah, so, you know, I would, uh, you know, motor out of my neighborhood at sedate speed because I like my neighbors, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, piss everybody off. Um, you know, so a couple of blocks, you know, once I got, you know, to the perimeter of the neighborhood, you know, then switch it over to sport mode and put the exhaust in sport mode and, uh, you know, 
open it up a little. Yeah, the sport mode exhaust was key. I think that's probably the first thing I did uh, would, would be to set it into to sport mode. Um, just because you can hear the dampers open back up. You know, they always, yeah. they, uh, all the cars with the dampers, they'll still start, they'll give you a little bit of roar and then they close the dampers down real quick. When you put it in sport mode, it just opens. <laughs> and yeah. uh, that engine just wails and snorts yeah. and pops. I, I remember um, just kind of driving it in second gear a lot. <laughs> yeah. You know, you never, you never want to short shift a GT. No, no. Well, and it's not, it, it's got, it's, it's horsepower is like five something, but it's torque is. It's five five twenty. Which is that's healthy. The torque is four yeah. four twenty nine. It's like a hundred hundred foot pounds less torque than horsepower. Which I mean, it's not a huge deal. It's still a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's it's got it's got a little less torque than a standard GT, um, but it also revs two thousand right. RPM higher. Right, and that's well. that. You know, there is a difference: horsepower versus torque, and and so it yeah, it doesn't. I don't really care. The numbers don't really matter at that point. Cars just it's yeah. Hard. I mean, it's it's more than enough torque that you know it doesn't. It's it's irrelevant. Yeah. Um. All right. Uh, it sounds like you enjoyed it. What about you? I did. I had a blast. Uh, speaking of irrelevant, uh, <laughs> let's talk about what I was driving. Uh. So I had two hybrid crossovers back to back, and it was really interesting to just take the sampling is sort of like the top and the bottom of the class. So I, the first week I had the 2019 Mitsubishi Outlander GT plug-in hybrid, uh, which we've acknowledged before is really old stuff. It is interesting what they've done to give this platform a plug-in hybrid. They've cleverly packaged it. It's, it's, you know, it's as good as it can be. Uh, And I don't, I don't have, terrible things to say about it. I think it's, it's kind of a cheap shot to talk about how old Mitsubishi stuff is because that's obvious. Um, and then after, right after that, I drove the 2019 Toyota RAV4 XSE, which is not brand new. Uh, it's in, so I had the XSE hybrid. There's a couple of different hybrid trim levels. So the XSE, I think is supposed to be the sporty one. It's got the blue, blue dampers and, and stuff like that. Um, the the difference is quite stark. Uh, <laughs> the the Outlander really does feel like a car that was designed twenty years ago and given a battery electric powertrain <laughs> or like battery you know the 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 plug in hybrid powertrain. Um, and it, I don't think it would have been that stark if I didn't drive the Rav Four right after uh, because the the Outlanders. It's it's certainly it's actually I think it's probably a better EV than it is just a regular crossover. It it'll do I think I want to say it's like 14 miles of of electric only range. It has you know features where you can charge the battery while you drive. So you, and you can select when to use EV mode and when not to use it. Of course, you can plug it in. Uh, it gets only okay fuel economy on uh, sort of operating as a standard hybrid. Um, but it does, you know, pretty well as, as an EV in stop and go, it was, it was really well suited for that. Uh, but the, (laughs) the body shell is not the most modern. So it, it, it only, it rides and handles only so well. It actually feels like it's probably five or 700 pounds too heavy 
because it's five or 700 pounds too heavy. You know, there's just no way of getting around it. Uh, and you know, but you go down the list. It is what it is. You go down the list, which isn't much. Uh, it's, it's a, or, or in some cases too crossover. much. It has, you know, on paper, it measures up pretty well in terms of features. It's tech is old. You know, they're kind of limited, I think, with the vehicle architecture. So in terms of like the nav and all of the infotainment stuff, it's driven by basically a doubled in size head unit. And I, I just I don't see that changing until they really shift the architecture. And I think the Eclipse Cross, which I haven't driven yet, but um, I think that has a newer infotainment setup with a larger screen and, and stuff. And we'll start to see that stuff propagate across the line as they replace their old stuff. And they're doing that as they continue to reap the benefits of their sort of on again, off again partnership, which I don't know where that stands. The Renault, Nissan, Mitsubishi. Well, N- Nissan um, took a significant equity stake in Mitsubishi uh, a couple of years ago. <clears throat> and so, you know, Mitsubishi is part of the alliance. Um, and regardless of what ultimately happens between Renault and Nissan, um, you know, at least for, you know, for the foreseeable future, Nissan, you know, retains a controlling stake in Mitsubishi. And I believe that they are, they're working on new vehicles for Mitsubishi now based on um, Renault Nissan uh, platforms. So I would guess that the next generation Outlander is probably, we'll probably see that within the next 18 months. Um, You know, it'll probably share its platform with the next generation Rogue you know, which is a similar, similarly sized yeah. vehicle. And it is also due for uh, a redesign, you know, which I, I would guess probably sometime next, sometime in 2020, we'll see both a new Rogue and a new Outlander. You know, that's not a bad thing. I, I actually, I, I would take the Rogue now <laughs> compared to the Outlander. I, I think the Rogue is actually a pretty good vehicle. Um, and it, I think Mitsubishi's experience with actually bringing an elect, you know, electrification to market is going to help. I know that, uh, Renault and Nissan were working pretty, pretty deeply on that as well. So we should see them continue. Yeah, well, you know, Renault and Nissan have focused more on battery electrics than on hybridization. So you know, if if you know if this partnership you know yields you know say a new Rogue and a new Outlander that you know offer you know at least a plug-in hybrid powertrain. And then maybe uh, you know maybe even a battery electric version uh, you know at some point down the road that you know that would make for an interesting combination. Yeah, but the thing that they're going to have to compete with is the new Rav Four, which is <laughs> I mean, and the new Escape yeah, and that's, that's you know true. the going to also be a whole really bunch good. of other um, stuff. The Rav Four was very impressive. It's just it, well uh, before I leave the the Outlander two, it's. Also $42,000 sticker price, um, which seems like a lot, even with tax incentives and stuff. And it seems even more like a lot when you look at the RAV4 that it's it's the new TNGA architecture from Toyota. It drives really well. It's got better space utilization. It's just – it you get in that in the RAV4 and you go, oh, this is how you make cars. Uh, and it's 36, almost 37. So it's more, it's more car for the money and it's really just 
that much better made. Uh, so I, I, I can't ever, I think, get over how good the TNGA platform is from Toyota. Everything I've driven on that is just really exceptionally pleasant. Not just like acceptable. Uh, it's rigid. It, they've tuned it well. It's got the, the right, even the right kind of steering torque just to feel good. You know, it doesn't have a ton of, it's not a sports car platform. It doesn't really have a ton of like steering feel or anything, but it just, the, the way everything sort of operates together. Um, whereas the older platform of the Mitsubishi will sort of, it'll roll and then it'll take a set. And then it, it does these discrete, discrete movements where the RAV4 is a lot more fluid and it's just from behind the wheel. It's, it's very much more refined. Um, new Toyota um, infotainment is better. It's, it's still also not great, but uh, it's several generations ahead of where Mitsubishi is. Uh, it, was, it was an interesting contrast, but it, like, yeah, I mean, you know, the Mitsubishi still has an old, you know, has a I think a Rockford yeah. Fosgate you know, head unit yeah. in there. Um, and does the does the Out, does the Outlander now have a head unit that supports Android Auto and CarPlay? I think, I think it does. It does. Um, so that puts it ahead of Toyota. Yeah. I, because Toyota doesn't do uh, Android Auto it's yet. It's coming, though. You know they're going to release some software and take care of that. Yeah. Eventually. Um, it's in the Avalon, I think, so far. is that That's the only one they've released so far for whatever reason. It, it, they'll get, I, I mean, if, if anybody will get there, they'll, they'll get there. Um, but, you know... The thing that strikes me the most when I look at the RAV4, and oh, and I, I liked how it has the, it had silver, um, like lower body and then a black roof. So it's just, they, they're, Toyota's incorpororating two-tone throughout their lineup in certain places. You know, the CHR has it and uh -huh. you know, they're, they're doing a little bit more of it. Yeah. I mean, a lot of, a lot of OEMs are doing that now, uh, across a lot of, especially crossover models to try to break it up a little bit, you know, so they don't look quite so monolithic yeah i i like that it's clever that's it, it's a good yeah, trend they can keep that up that has my approval not that it matters um hey it's it's better than you know something that's either white silver or black yeah that's true um but the yeah the rav4 just it, it, on its own everything they did about this is this is this is old school toyota overachievement it's just the ergonomics are great the it's comfortable. It's not super quiet. Uh, it's, it's a little bit loud because I think probably because it has low rolling resistance tires on it. Um, but it, you know, it's just nicely finished. The materials are good, which has been a, a common complaint of mine about Toyota's, especially the RAV4, the interior just didn't feel all that nice. Uh, they've managed to, at least in the XSE trim, uh, make it a pretty nice place to be. Uh, I'm sure the limiteds are even a little bit nicer. Uh, so it's just, you know, it's like they, they did their homework, they heard all the criticism, and they they really, they delivered. Uh, th this is a, a fantastic vehicle, and I I can understand why it leads to the field. And, you know, it's it's got to be the best-selling Toyota there is right now in the U.S. market. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's ahead of maybe, the camera. Maybe not now. the hybrid, but just the RAV4 as a whole. Um, I, my assumption... Yeah. It would be that this is probably the best-selling model they make, and I can see why. And it's it's just, it's a very it's a very good car. I have no no complaints. Um, and then I'm finishing up. All I, I just want to say, 
I've got the 500 C Abarth from from Fiat. It is definitely a car that has lived past its time. <laughs> <laughs> Manual or automatic? Manual. I didn't realize they made it in an automatic. They make that's oh, they a tragedy. Do. The, the, when I, when I had one a couple of years ago, it was an automatic, which um, made a lot of noise. Um, not so yeah. much. Thrust. It's, it's not really all that powerful. But that, I think that's one of the things that's fun about it. Well, 100, 160 yeah, horsepower. It, it, you can you can whip up the anger, and it makes all these noises, and you know, it'll, it'll wind it up in first gear and throw in the clutch. It'll pop from the exhaust, which is always hilarious. Uh, it, it's just fun. You know, you look around the interior and it's super outdated. The materials are not good. The design, the ergonomics are wacky because it's it's Italian. Uh, it's one of the few cars I got that has a key. <laughs> it's it's electronic. You want to talk about electronics that are way behind the curve? It's got Tom Tom Nav and it's teeny little like four inch screen. I think my my antique phone is bigger. Uh, but, but it's just so much fun though. It's it's got a lot of character and it's just it's really. It's one of those cars that's just entertaining to drive. It handles pretty well. It's it, this is the 500C, so uh, with with that large section of roof missing, it's you can feel a little bit of cowl shake, but uh, it's fun. So it's it's one of those few cars that it's not that expensive. It offers a lot of fun for the dollar, and it's yeah, got a lot of character. It really, it really does. Uh, and I I would hardly recommend it. You just have to go into it knowing its shortcomings, which you can totally ignore. Because it makes up for them by being really super entertaining. Um, On the other hand, you know, if you live in California, um, you know, and you you want a super entertaining Fiat 500, you know, there's also the 500e, which I actually personally find to be more fun to drive than the Abarth. It's not it doesn't it's not as loud, but it, you know, it's got because it's an electric. It has you know all that low end torque. And it's actually a, a real hoot to drive. I bet. Yeah, it's, that's probably the best one. It's funny how the EVs, you know, that was that was what I was thinking about the, the Outlander too. Is, you know, this is a pure EV. It's so much better. It's quieter. It's smoother. It's torquey. <laughs> you know, all of yeah. those things. It's like if you have a bad old platform, <laughs> just electrify it. You'll get another couple of years out <laughs> of it. Yeah, easily. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So let's. Well, before before we leave the uh, garage, uh, I pulled up the Toyota sales numbers through the first half of the year, and the Rav Four was in fact Toyota's best selling nameplate. They sold two hundred thousand six hundred and ten of them in the United States by the end of June, versus one hundred and seventy six thousand Camrys and one hundred and fifty three thousand. Well, one hundred and seventy six thousand Camrys, so they're still doing three hundred and fifty thousand of those a year. That's not oh bad. yeah, and. You know, four hundred thousand uh, Rav Four. So I mean, that's that's some serious volume. Yeah. You get you're, you're getting into full size pickup truck volumes there. And they're all that's the funny thing too. Like they're all the same basic car. I mean, the, yeah, the, that 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 is pretty remarkable. You know that they're you know like 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 Volkswagen. You know they have been able to take a basic platform and stretch it over a remarkable array of vehicles you know from the prius which was the original one that they launched with you know to the new corolla the camry the avalon the rav um and a variant you know a, a, an updated variant of, of tnga is even used for the the new highlander that's coming this fall yeah it, and they could have just made you know an adequate platform they they made it they made a good one <laughs> well you know i i think 
we can thank Akio Toyota for you know kind of changing the attitude at, at the company. Um, you know, for you know really inspiring them to to create vehicles that are really enjoyable to drive. You know that they still have all the attributes that you know made Toyota great. You know they're they're reliable. Um, you know they they're they're very functional. But now they're they're also not born. Yeah, and that was a shock to actually, you know, especially in like a Rav Four hybrid. I think that's a double whammy of like, okay, it's it's the crossover, the high volume crossover, and a hybrid. Like, I can't roll my eyes hard enough. But <laughs> it's 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 going to be very interesting this fall, you know, to put the Rav Four hybrid up against the new Ford Escape hybrid, and you know, and eventually the uh, Honda CRV hybrid. You know, to see how they compare against yeah, each other. I, the the hybrid, Toyota hybrid's gonna like it's got to be the benchmark. It's really smooth. You you really can't feel a handoff um, between you know EV and and uh, gas engine, and you can't certainly can't feel the handoff between regen and friction braking. You know they've had a, a lot of practice at this, so. Ford and Honda better bring their game. That's all. Apparently something was some kind of car was unveiled. Yeah. In California okay. Last so that's week. the weirdest part. Tustin. Where the hell is Tustin and why would you <laughs> unveil it there? Somewhere in Orange County yeah. because there was a big blimp hanger there. Okay. Which is again, why there? I don't know. Uh, okay. And, um, did we ever? I don't think we ever figured out the significance of seven eighteen. Um, because it it was it coincided with the Apollo eleven mission. It wasn't sort of it. It wasn't the launch day, which was uh, July sixteenth. It wasn't the day they landed on the moon, which was July twentieth. Uh, it was you know when they were halfway to the moon. So this is just their um, own shot. Is that what they they're trying to? Uh, apparently, I guess yeah, and you know they. Chevrolet started the the program with um, you know bringing out two astronauts, bringing out uh, one of the Kelly brothers. Was it Scott or Mark? I can never remember which one's which. Uh, the one who isn't running for Senate, <laughs> uh, who spent the one who, the one who spent a year on the I space station. I want to say that's Scott Kelly. Um, and uh, I think you're right. And I'm blanking on the name of the the, the woman, but um, you know they they came out and did about a ten or fifteen minute spiel on the space program and and how uh, you know which eventually kind of wound around to how corvettes have been such an important part of the astronaut story over the years you know uh, so many of the astronauts in the 1960s were corvette drivers and, um you know eventually they, eventually they actually got around to the car itself well, they gave them corvettes they gave, they gave the, the Alan Shepard Corvettes. So I don't know if it was uh, mm-hmm. no. The they gave the Mercury astronauts oh, okay. Corvettes. Mercury, all right. Or at least they gave Alan Shepard one. I don't know if they gave Corvettes to all the other Mercury astronauts, or they had to buy their own. But Alan Shepard, who was the first American uh, to go up, got one from a local dealer in Florida. Okay, I, I'm, that's all rather well documented, I'm sure. But e- either way, I think we should probably. Is, Make sure that we're everybody knows what we're talking about that they they introduced the C8 Corvette, the eighth generation of the Corvette, which is something that happens. You know, you get a new Corvette once every twenty years, it seems. Um, I guess it's been a little sooner than that. With the C7 debuted 
Yeah, the C7 came out in 2013. Okay. Wow, that's, that's, um, that's a pretty good, that's, that's not bad. That's, that's a tight lifespan for a Corvette. Yeah. You know, and granted the, the C7, you know, was mechanically at least was largely an evolution of the C6. Yeah. You know, it had a new design, but you know, it wasn't radically different mechanically. From well, they the do C6. that too. So every, it's almost like every couple of generations you get a big shift, right? So like you had the C2 that was a, big shift from the very rustic original, <laughs> which was basically an early fifties Chevy, uh, chassis, you know, frame that was sort of hot rotted up a little bit, um, and a fiberglass body. Then they went to the C2 was the, it had, you know, independent rear suspension and it was the, the sort of the, the first, it was the split window. And, and then the C2 was re- totally rebodied and, they, they tweaked it a bit, but the C3 was pretty much C2 architecture just updated. And that lasted until, okay, so the C2 came out in what, 63? And it lasted to 82? <laughs> that's not, that's, that's uh, yes. 20 years of, of C2, C3 architecture. Uh, and then then the C4 was a huge, I think the C4 was probably in in i guess there were no 83s so it was the 84 corvette uh yeah there there were some 83 corvettes built but they were never sold to the public they were they were pre-production cars uh saleable pre-production cars that never never actually got sold to the public i think we there, we we failed to appreciate how big a shift that car was in 1984 that it really legitimized the Corvette. It went from an antique that looked really good that at, at, by that time had become kind of ridiculous uh, to this really, you know, wedgy, modern, uh, high tech, advanced sports car that didn't didn't cost as much as the other cars that it would outperform. And we still have that today. That's still what the Corvette does. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the C four, you know, was. In in many respects, you know, compared to you know the, the top competition of the day, was still kind of crude. Um, you know, it was far more sophisticated than the C three. You know, but you know, it was it still didn't have a lot of structural integrity. You know, if you ever drove a C four Corvette down the road, it had that big clamshell hood, and you could see that thing shaking and vibrating as you you know as it hit bumps in the road. It had a very stiff suspension system. You know, on on a nice smooth skid pad, it could generate some some really impressive lateral acceleration numbers. But as soon as you hit some bumps in the road, things got squirrely really fast. <laughs> that's, that's, inter- that's the entertainment. <laughs> and, and before I forget, uh, the other astronaut who was at the reveal was Mae Jemison, who went up on the uh, space shuttle Endeavor. And it was Scott Kelly who was there with her on stage. All right. Astro- I mean, astronauts are always fun people to talk to. Um, and I, I think it's probably a higher proportion of astronauts that like really fast cars than other professions. Yeah. I mean, there's something about, you know, when you, when you're used to traveling at 17,000 miles an hour, you know, when you're back on earth, you want something reasonably yeah. quick. <laughs> it's, it's the, this is almost as good as an Apollo rocket. You get, you get spoiled yeah. a little. Um, so the C8, uh, is, you know, like you're saying this, it's a little the different. C6 was evolved into C7. And then the, so the C8 is an, it, it, 
it actually is that mid-engine Corvette. This is this is the mythic car that we've been hearing about since nineteen sixty something. It's 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 the it's the unicorn of, of it sports is, cars. It's here. It's it, like I was asking on Twitter. Like, is Don Sherman alive? Did he just like float up to heaven? He he, he apparently is alive. Uh, and from from what I've heard from people who were there uh, last Thursday night, um, he was actually quite impressed with this car. Um, I, I haven't seen anything published from him yet since the unveiling, which is peculiar. Um, but, uh, it, you know, he, he apparently likes it. I, it's hard not to like, I know that there's been a lot of, uh, complaining on the internet about the way it looks, uh, about the interior and its ergonomics. And I, I can, I can see some of these complaints, you know, is the interior, especially it has this row of buttons that are sort of laid out in a linear strip and it's all oriented toward the driver versus the passenger. But I, I think what, what I want to do is actually drive it and see how that stuff is to operate. I, I, Cause I can look at it and imagine that it's not good, but I've done that in the past and I found out that once you actually operate it, it's like, okay, it's different, but it's not terrible. And, you know, it's not like it's a, a a Porsche Panamera, the first generation Panamera that I think had buttons like on the visors and the like well, I have visors, <laughs> I guess every car has visor buttons now with Homelink. But, you know, like that thing had buttons everywhere, it had buttons on its buttons. <laughs> it was like it was yeah. bad. So, I mean, you, you can't you can't just immediately crap on the the, the Corvette. But, but the way this. The way that that strip of buttons is laid out, and for those that haven't seen it, we'll we'll include it in the, the show art for this week. But it ha- the the new Corvette has a very tall center console. Um, oh, did we mention that the engine is now behind the yes, driver? Yes, it's mid engine. That's that's it's right. mid- That's that's yes. the Corvette that's been coming for. It's, it's no longer a front mid engine sports car. It's a rear mid engine. Yeah. Well, and car and now. because the C seven, um, they really said, and you can see it in the numbers that they posted. Right, the C seven had. Yeah just reached the limit of what you could do with front engine rear drive. And and so they had a couple of choices, right? You could go mid engine or you could go all wheel drive. That's those are about the two things you could do. (laughs) And they, they decided to go mid engine instead of add all wheel drive to it, which I think was probably the right move because it's going to make a lighter car. And, and I think uh, I suspect that at some point there will be an all wheel drive version of this Corvette, but, with an electric motor at the front. Oh yeah, that's a lot easier to Rather, pull off. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think they will hybridize it with with a, a front electric motor, uh, and maybe even one at the rear as well. You know, so sort of a uh, an NSX. Yeah, you know, when they do layout. that, I, and I haven't really, you know, I, I wasn't at the event, so I didn't get a chance to poke around the car at all. I'd be really curious to see how they're going to package batteries into that because it's not a it's not a big car. No, but it does have that big center tunnel. Um, which, you know, could be a, you know, for a hybrid version, not for, I mean, for a hybrid version, you could easily package the, you know, uh, say, a you know, seven or eight kilowatt hour battery pack down that center oh, tunnel hmm. and, and then put a, a motor, a, a motor or two at the front axle, maybe another one at the rear, you know, so again, like I said, a similar layout to what the NSX has, which has two front motors, one in the rear. Um, and you know, the, the NSX also has, dual clutch transmission just like this thing does so you could do that and then you know the the other thing that could ultimately be done you know if you look at the size of this car you know and the the proportions you know 
because the the engine, you know, the small block V8 is longitudinally mounted, there's enough space there between the cabin and the um, the rear axle that you could pack a pretty good size battery pack in the middle of this car, you know, across where the engine sits right now, and you know, ha- probably have a pretty decent range as a battery electric version of this car. Yeah, and just the amount of performance that 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 opens up too. And I think that's the thing that uh, I picked up on when they, they announced it was, okay, you got to remember this is a $60,000 car and you start looking at it, which is, which is actually quite remarkable because over the last several years, you know, many of us have been talking about, you know, this, this long rumored mid engine Corvette, you know, when it, when we started seeing spy photos a couple of years back and it started to become apparent that, you know, this was either, you know, real or, you know, the most elaborate troll of Don <laughs> Sherman ever, um, which I up, right up until they actually announced it last week, I, I still was not convinced. That it that may was still not be the case. You don't know. It, it may it may still be. We haven't actually driven it yet. Um, but at, at the very least, um, you know, it, it's it. There's a lot that's really impressive about this. You know, and the but the during the, you know, many of these conversations, we were thinking, you know, we were wondering, you know, if they do this as a mid-engine car, it's probably going to cost at least a hundred grand, you know. And if that's the case, you know, is this just going to be a high-end model, you know, as part of the Cor- of Corvette family? And they, you know, they keep an updated version of the C7 around, you know, to stay in that fifty, sixty thousand dollar price range. But you know, it was amazing that you know they announced that this thing is the C8 is going to start at just under sixty thousand dollars with. A 6.2 liter small block LT2 small block with 495 horsepower and 470 foot pounds of torque. Yeah, I mean, it's just zero to sixty in like three seconds. That's uh, so fast, <laughs> you know. Like yes, and that's that's the stock one, like the just the entry level. Yeah, that's the base. Um, well, actually, I guess that's actually for the. Uh, um, what the Z51? Okay, so I had, but Z51 uh, is like a suspension package. Right? It's still the same. Yeah, it's it's just some suspension uh, upgrades and uh, tires. Um, you know, but the same powertrain. You know, same basic car. Um, you know, but still, I mean, you're gonna. It's even the base model is going to be in the three second range, which is remarkable for a sixty thousand yeah. dollar car, a sixty thousand dollar mid engine. Right. So car. think about this is what all of you who complained about the NSX, this is what you people wanted. It's a straightforward mid-engine car. It's got got a V8 in the middle of it. Uh, Certainly there's a lot of of clever engineering and innovative tech that they had to do to pull this off. Uh, One of the most interesting things to me was that they, what they call it the... um, the six, the, what is it? The, the town in India, it's named after the, the, the shoot, the, it's something or other six. It just starts with a B because that's where the, the casting factory is. The engine foundry is there because they've got six different cast aluminum elements in the chassis structure. And instead of doing your typical, you know, weld them up out of sheet, sheet metal, um, they've, they, it's a, it's a mix of die castings and, and extrusions. Yeah, but there's, because of the way they're made that increases rigidity and it, it reduces weight. Right. It's, it's, it's high, high pressure die casting. It's, and, and it's like the chassis is made at the engine factory, which I thought was a cool sort of, I think it's the Bedford six. Uh, 
um, just a cool note. That's like, okay, we've, we've gone from, you, you know, a bunch of sort of subframes that are made in the traditional way with traditional weight to this, this different, uh, tech that makes the car a lot stronger. And I think honestly, you're going to see the Corvette as a sort of a showcase for technology that's going to wind up in other cars. Um, and I, I, that's something that I expect to see in, in other cars, but it, it's kind of being released to the world here in the, in the Corvette. I know that it's electrical architecture is another thing that we've already seen, right? That's the same electrical architecture that was used in, um, the Cadillac. Was it the CT6? The CT5. The CT5. Okay. It's, it's, it's a new, it's a new electrical architecture it debuts in the CT5 this fall. Um, and also in the CT4 and the Corvette. And then over the next several years, uh, with each new, redesigned platform each time a platform is redesigned it's going to get this and this is a platform this is an electrical architecture that has more powerful computing um you know they're going to start to consolidate a lot of the computers in the car so you have fewer computers that are more powerful um a lot hot a lot more networking bandwidth within the car to send all the sensor data around you know so it'll enable and it'll enable things like um you know more driver assist features but also uh, over-the-air software updates and, and all kinds of other functionality. And is it 48 volt or? It's not 48 volt. Well, it it can it can support uh, 48 volt, but right now GM has not announced any plans to do anything. With right, so they volt. could do it. It's it's more about it's more about the electronics, um, you know. But it could support higher power delivery okay. as well. And and just for reference, okay, this new Corvette starts at at sixty thousand dollars. There's, currently, there's only one other mid-engine sports car that is less than $100,000 in the U.S. That's the Alpha 4C, <laughs> which starts at $67,000. So much rather have the Corvette. You know, uh, the, the, the 4C is a good time, don't get me wrong. but Yeah. And, you know, the, the 4C has a carbon fiber tub. Um, you know, and, and part of the you know part of the reason, you know, that GM was able to make the Corvette, you know, so relatively affordable is, you know, they, rather than, uh, you know, an exotic carbon fiber tub, they went with an aluminum structure, um, you know, which, you know, is, is going to be very strong. It's, it's not going to be ultimately as light as carbon fiber, um, but, you know, it will, it will do the job that's required of it. And, you know, they, they know how to manufacture that. They, they also know how to recycle it, <laughs> you know, at the car's end of life, which is something that you can't really readily do with a carbon fiber structure. Uh, they know how to repair it, which is also much more challenging to do with a carbon fiber uh, structure. So, you know, I mean, there, there's a lot of other cars, you know, a lot of other very high-end cars that also use aluminum structures, you know, and Corvettes have been made out of with aluminum structures for a long time now. So GM knows how to do that. Well, and it's, you know, it's the thing. You, you've got this level of performance, you know, this kind of layout for this price. So, rather than complain consider what you're getting for the money i don't i don't want to be you know suggesting that we always append the you know for a corvette to the end of every superlative statement <laughs> you're like yeah it's really good for a corvette no i mean you know d- d- dis- disregard what badges on this thing if you just look at the the specs and the the capabilities of it you know this is as good as you know almost anything in the world you know, that costs less than half a million dollars. I think it's going to, yeah, it's going to deliver in terms of performance testing, it's going to deliver a beating to cars that cost twice as much. 
uh, if not more. Oh, to, to, yeah, even three, four, or five yeah, times. And that's time. always been sort of the Corvette way. Uh, you know, it, it's different. And anytime there's a big shift in Corvette, and this is the biggest one in a long time, uh, there's arguably the biggest. Yeah, ever. Well, that, that's true. The, the layout is, is, you know, it's, it's been rumored for as long as I've been alive. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, it, it change is scary to some people. I get it. Um, but I, I think really, you, you know, the, the team that developed this car has a track record of developing really good cars. You know, it's going to ride and handle really well. Uh, and then they're going to continue to improve it throughout its life because that's what they always do with the Corvette. Uh, and you know, right out of the box, uh, it's, it's essentially, it's somebody compared the styling to a, uh, a Ferrari F430. And they were basically like, okay, and when you put it in those terms, yeah, I'll take a Ferrari F430 that has a, you know, a GM small block in it and a dealer that I can go to in town. It doesn't sound like a, for under a hundred grand. That doesn't sound like a problem to me. All of those sound like good things. And and that won't require $20,000 worth of service yeah. every year. Um, and you know, they, they did do some, special Corvette things, you know, it's got a dry sump oiling system. Like we were talking about, we, you know, they, yeah, that's, that's actually something that's really cool. They've done some really interesting packaging stuff on this. Like some of the people that were at the event were talking about, you know, when you open up the engine compartment and look at, look at the engine, the top of the engine actually sits below the top of the rear wheels. That's law because well, it's not a tall engine anyway. Yeah. The small box tiny. Right. Well, well, and that's that's one of the advantages of the small block, you know, because it's a pushrod engine. You know, it's not overhead cam, so you know, overhead cam engines are inherently taller because you know you've got to put the camshafts up on top of the blocks, and they're and they're wider. So this thing is relative. You know, it's a remarkably small package, but it's even lower. Because, um, you know, because it does have a standard dry sump oil system. You know, in the past, uh, GMs had uh, dry sump versions of the engine for, you know, variants like the ZR1 and the Z06. Uh, but base Corvettes, and, you know, have never had that. It's now a standard system on there. And what they've done is they, the oil reservoir is actually packaged on the front end of the engine. Uh, you know, it's bolted to the front of the engine. And... Because it's a dry sump, you don't have to have that big oil pan hanging on the bottom. You just, you basically just have a cover, you know, that's almost directly underneath the crankshaft, and you know the oil drips down in there, and there's a scavenge pump that sucks it out and pumps it up to the, the reservoir. So that allows them to mount the engine even lower in the car, which lowers the center of gravity of the car, which improves handling. Um, and you know, because of the way they've they've packaged all that, you know, what's remarkable is the amount of cargo space that they've left in it, in this thing, you know, I mean, the, the C7 and the C6, you know, one of the things that they were, that was really impressive about them is that under the rear hatch, you actually had a remarkable amount of cargo area back there. You know, it, the, the thing that they always bragged about was you could fit two golf bags in the back of a Corvette. Well, turns out you can still do that even in this mid engine Corvette. Yeah. Um, you can, you can fit two golf bags in there and there's also a front trunk. Um, where you can put a standard size, you know, uh, carry on bag that you can take on an airplane. So that, that's, you know, that's pretty practical. And just, you know, compare, compare what you get with this car versus possibly it's most sort of direct, uh, I guess, price competitor, which would be, I would say like a 911 because you, you can get a 911 in the high 
the high, uh, high multi thousands versus hundreds of thousands, right? Like, um, yeah, I think they start somewhere in the eighty thousand yeah. dollar range. Uh, this is gonna have a lot more performance for the dollar, uh, and the nine eleven is easy to live with too. I think that's one of the secrets of that car's success is that it does. You know, it's got the front trunk that's pretty roomy. It's got um, ostensibly four seats. It's you know, you can just you can daily it without it. They're not. They're not. They're yeah, not usable. It, sure, seats. it's a, it's a two seater. Um, just because it just because it has a couple of seatbelts back there doesn't make <laughs> the, it a four seat. The dog can get back there. <laughs> Depending yeah, on the dog. Uh, <laughs> so nine eleven currently starts at ninety one thousand. Okay, see, that's US. that's a lot of dough. But I performance wise, the Cayman starts at fifty seven. Yeah, I, I just have trouble comparing the Corvette directly to the Cayman. I feel like the Cayman is is sort of out of its league. Yeah, they're they're yeah they're not really in the same same price um, segment. Or same, you know, same competitive yeah. set, uh, and they're they're both good cars. It's just so it's just interesting to see sort of where the the Corvette shakes out. I, you know, I can't really, I, or I don't want to pile on about the styling because I haven't actually seen it. And once you see it, they they look a lot. You cars like you know, just in general. The, I, I I will admit, you know, that the images I've seen so far of the car, you know, without the camo. The design is growing on me. The the front three quarters of it, I, I do kind of like. The rear, I'm still kind of mixed on. Uh, I will get to see one uh, later this week uh, at the at this weekend at the uh, Concours of America, St. John's in Michigan. Um, they they're doing a design forum that I'm going to on Saturday um, with the Corvette designers, and they're they're going to have the, the the C8 on display there at the Concours. So if you're if you're going to the Concours this weekend uh, in Plymouth, Michigan you'll see the, the C8 out on the grounds. Um, and I expect that I might even see one on, on Friday night at an event I'm going to um, that uh, Mark Royce uh, usually makes an appearance at. Last year, he showed up with his, uh, his Corvette Grand Sport replica. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if he shows up this Friday night with a C8. That I, yeah, if he does, we'll have something to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it, it, the golf bag thing, it, I find it hilarious, like, just that that's the metric like golf really <laughs> well you know if you if you look at who corvette buyers have been for the last couple of decades you know it's it's increasingly you know an older male yeah. audience um you know and and this is part of the reason why you know they you know i mean there's obviously the technical arguments of you know we wanted to continue making it better and we've you know they reached the limits of what they could do with a front front engine car you know and you know, going to a mid-engine car is, you know, at least GM hopes will attract a new audience uh, to the Corvette that would not have considered it yeah. before. You know, they they would have they would have looked at it and said, oh, you know, this is, you know, this is something, you know, for you know, older guys, you know, in midlife crises or or you know later, you know, that, that like to play golf and you know need something to um, demonstrate to the world that you know they're remaining virility yeah, right it's wheel viagra on wheels um yeah, exactly I, i've and i always i love corvettes um you know they have a lot of charm the c6 is probably my favorite i'm not really all that enamored with the c7 uh, although it's it's a better car in all sort of objective measures um but this one does the c8 really captures my imagination and i think it's probably like you said because of you know my age and the cars that I grew up 
really impressed by. And, you know, a lot of the cars that made an impression on me were those those 80, 70s and 80s and early 90s mid-engine cars. You know, from when we were talking, of course, the Fiero, but also, you know, the MR2. Those were, like, affordable mid-engine sports cars. And then everybody, I think, had a, a, a Kuntak poster or a Diablo, uh, you know. That was a Ferrari 512. Okay, BB 512 BB. I was gonna, I was gonna get to the 308 because it's just an again, <laughs> you know, it's it's a little bit of an icon. Um, so mm-hmm. those cars, they're a different flavor than the the classic like 60, 50s and 60s inspired uh, Corvettes. And you know, I've always always been really impressed with what a Corvette will do. But uh, I'm I'm glad that they finally decided it was time to just really switch it up and like make a break from that tradition, you know, like at a certain point the tradition holds you back. And I think that's what was going on. So, you know, they, they finally did it. They made a mid engine car. <laughs> it only took them 40 okay. some years. I mean, I'm a little, it. I'm a little sad. It doesn't have a four rotor wankle in it. Uh, don't, don't worry. Sooner or later, somebody will, will find one of the, uh, the Mazda four rotor wankles that ran in the, uh, the RX sevens and IMSA GTO yeah. back in the early nineties and, and stuff it into the That's back true. of one of these. That's true. You know, and it's that, that, now that would be some well, glorious I mean, you can assemble sound. one, right? You just get a couple of, th- have you ever heard uh, one of those? They whale and they spit fire. Um, oh, yeah. you can, you can assemble uh, a four rotor out of your own, you know, you get a couple of 13 B's right. And, and bolt them together, figure it all out. Uh, yeah, it's a little, a little more. Complicated yeah, I like to, I that. like to minimize the difficulty. Um, the, the thing, the, and the one thing I'll say before we, I move on anyway, I don't have much more to say about the Corvette beyond, uh, the, the idea that like, okay, the golf clubs, if you're that older guy trying to put golf bags in there, that liftover is going to be a bitch. <laughs> That's, that's a good point so although although the same was true of the c7 and c6 you know they had you know you'd still have to lift it over the back end of those cars you know especially if you had a z06 or a ZR, zr1 uh you know i mean the zr1 you know really you know with that big wing on true. the back you know the c7 zr1 wouldn't really be practical but even the z06 you know had the, a pretty tall spoiler in the back uh but the base models, you know, it's still a pretty high liftover. So I don't think that this is, in fact, this is probably easier because, you know, on the C6 and C7, not only did you have a high liftover, but you had to reach forward, um, you know, over the back of the car to get your golf bags in there yeah. into the hatch. Uh, whereas this one, you know, the, the trunk is right at the back, you know, so you have that liftover, but then it's drop it right down, That's right, right there. You know, you- so I, I think it might. I think it might I actually be easy. Caddy, do it. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it, it's it's a paradigm shift. It's a big deal, and um, as much as it, the internet sort of lit itself, a car Twitter at the very least lit itself on fire criticizing it. Um, I, I really I want to see it out in the wild. I want to drive it, um, and and I, I think I'll reserve actual judgment. Uh, until I do, because you know, sixty thousand dollar mid engine car with a lot of performance, and you got to make compromises somewhere. And I, I think GM has been pretty smart about making the right compromises to keep the Corvette sort of 
priced at what it's priced at and performing the way it does. And and so I, I expect that that will continue. And once we drive them all, we'll, we'll be kind of happy with them. Yeah. Um, I, I suspect we will. Um, although I don't know, I, I still don't think I'll be happy with that interior layout with that long strip of buttons along the, 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 the far side of the console, you know, that kind of slopes up away from you. Uh, well, they could read. It wouldn't be the first time they've redesigned the entire interior of the car. Look at the C4, right? That the C4 example is, is good. That thing came out with a very, very 1984 interior, and they they yeah. redesigned that whole thing. They got it all the way up to about 1987 by the time yeah. they were done. <laughs> it got a, it got Maybe a interior redesign at some point. I can't remember what it was the early 90s uh, or, what, or at least they, they significant yeah. changes to the dash and, and stuff. So Yeah, I mean, they, they changed up the instrument cluster and, and did some other stuff, but it, yeah, it, it still wasn't great. Yeah, it's, it's progress. It's, it's a different way yeah. to not be great. <laughs> BMTS Technologies, which is a company you've almost certainly never heard of, um, but uh, there's there's actually a pretty decent chance that you may have driven some of their their uh, their products. Um, BMTS is uh, uh, was spun off, uh, I think, about three years ago. It was for, it was a company that was formed as a joint venture uh, about a decade ago by Bosch and Molly, um, and uh, the BMTS literally means. Bosch Molly Those Turbo System. expressive Germans uh, again what, with their naming. Which is which was the <laughs> you know there was the, the joint venture company that Bosch and Molly formed uh, back in two thousand eight I think two thousand eight or two thousand nine to manufacture turbochargers. Um, and a couple of years ago, um, they decided that you know even though you know turbos were still a, a decent business, it wasn't necessarily a business that they wanted to. To continue being in it, you know, they wanted to move on to other things. And so they spun it off uh, to a private equity firm um, that has since also acquired uh, a foundry company, uh, aluminum casting company, which makes uh, BMTS uh, technologies the only turbocharger manufacturer that also has their own casting capabilities, which uh, it turns out to be a fairly interesting proposition. I had the opportunity to attend an event with um, BMTS folks a few weeks ago and uh, talked to some of their engineers and learned some interesting things about turbos um, and mo- modern turbos. And, you know, one of the one of the things that we've talked a, a bit about over the last several years, um, you know, with all these turbocharged engines, especially like the Ford EcoBoost engines, is, you know, how they, they get decent fuel economy numbers on um, you know, on the, the fuel, you know, on the, the drive cycles that are done, used for fuel economy testing, official testing. But a lot of times in the real world, the, the numbers don't match up to those label numbers. And, um, you know, especially when you're driving them fairly hard or, you know, uh, in, in the, like the trucks, you know, if you're towing a significant load, the fuel economy tends to drop off pretty significantly. And, um, and, you know, if you've looked at a lot of these cars, um, especially ones that are white, like if you ever look at a white Ford Fusion with an EcoBoost engine in it, look in the look at the area around the tailpipes, exhaust pipes. And you'll notice there's, they tend to be stained with a lot of black soot. Um, and it turns out the, the reason why they get such bad fuel economy under load is uh, 
because they, they end up having to run the engines really rich um, when you run under load for any significant amount of time um, in order to keep the turbo temperatures down. Um, you know, because you run them rich, you know, it keeps the exhaust yeah. temperatures down and the turbo doesn't. Well, that was one of my up. favorite things having turbocharged cars is you beat the hell out of them for a while at night and then you open the hood and the turbo is glowing quite, quite brightly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, and so, you know, uh, what BMTS has actually been doing um, is they've, they've been working on materials for the turbo casting and, you know, the internal components of the turbo. And, you know, with, with their, um, their casting division now, they have actually developed some new, new alloys for their turbos uh, that are going to be coming out that will provide much better, um, much more heat resistance. They'll be much more durable at high temperatures, and so they won't have to run them rich like that, which means that they should get significantly better real-world fuel economy than a lot of the existing turbos do. Yeah, well, and that's uh, – are they playing with um, composites like uh, uh, ceramics at all or anything, or is it all just strictly – No, they're, they're not. They're, they're, they're still you – know, it's still all metal, um, but you know, they, they're, they've got some new alloys that have much higher um, – temperature resistance, you know, much higher melting points, um, you know, so they're, they're not going to start to break down or crack or anything at high temperatures. So they, they should be much more durable, um, you know, and, you know, be able to run for longer periods at high temperatures. Yeah, there's a lot going on in the turbo um, when you start to appreciate that it's it's in the exhaust stream and there's the, there's the turbine side of it and then there's the compressor side of it and you got, you know, the... the that are, that are running at two very temp- different yeah, temperature and levels. you've got a shaft in between. It's got, you know, the floating bearings. Uh, um, and these things are spinning at 100,000 yeah, RPM. Yeah. And, the, you know, the, the impellers, you want to make sure those hold together because they're they're right there. You don't mm-hmm. want to melt those. Uh, nope. Yeah, there's there's a lot going on even in a, just a sort of standard turbo. Um, and then on top of that, um, you know, they're also developing e-turbos. Um, which should be coming to market in the next year or so, which add uh, an electric motor to the turbo in, in between the turbine and the compressor. And what that does is it you know allows you to use um, some electrical energy to uh, spin the turbo up. So you know at uh, when you're at low boost or low load conditions, when you step on it, the tur- the the motor can spin up the turbo much faster. You know way way before the um, the uh, turbine, uh, you know, the exhaust gases will build up enough pressure to spin up the turbine. And so you can get more instantaneous boost at low RPM or low load conditions when you, when you step on it. Um, and then the flip side of that is, you know, on overrun, <clears throat> when you lift off, the exhaust gases are actually going to spin that motor and turn it into a generator. So in com- yeah, well, that was one of those, those things like sometimes you just sit and you, you try to imagine things. And, and, you know, one of the things that um, I, I think is, is untapped potential is converting heat energy into electricity because there's not really we don't really have a good way to, to do that. You can't capture the heat and just generate electricity. For yeah, that. well, in this in this case, you're not really capturing the heat. It's more of the kinetic energy of the exhaust gases. Yeah, it's it's the pressure drop, yeah. but it, it's still sort of 
just a way like otherwise it would be lost and that's that's a real benefit that we get from um from racing yeah. uh, is is the the uh, exhaust turbines which is essentially what they are you know the, the turbochargers that spin an electric generator um and and you capture some of that power that's otherwise it does just go out the tailpipe yeah it's so, uh, this stuff's been used on current on some current formula one engines and also on uh, some of the lmp1 prototypes that are running at le mans um uh, porsches and uh and audis used uh similar type of e-turbos uh to capture to as one of their two uh kinetic energy recovery systems or en- energy recovery systems um, you know, they, so they had the electric motors on the front axles that were doing regenerative braking and then also using the e-turbos to uh, capture energy from the exhaust gases. So would they tell you who's using this stuff or who's going to use uh, it? Not who's using the e-turbos. That's, that hasn't been publicly announced yet. I would be shocked if BMW didn't start using this stuff in some way in the next five years. Because they've already got efficient dynamics that's trying to recapture as much energy as possible. So yeah, it's it's certainly possible. Um, you know, it'll it, it'll be somebody that's doing forty eight volt electrical systems because the the e turbos you know really need to operate with a forty eight volt system. Are they geared? Do they have like a, a gearbox to to get the turbo up to speed? Or is it no, just the the the, uh, the motor is on the same shaft um, with the compressor and the turbine. So it's just a direct drive. That's a lot of speed for an electric motor. <laughs> but um, all right, you know they, they they say it'll work. I mean, and there's there's stuff out there. Um, you know, there, there are e compressors out there in the marketplace today. Um, Mercedes Benz on their their new three liter inline six uses a combination. They use an e compressor, which is just the the compressor side of this with a motor. It's not exhaust driven. Uh, in in uh, in series with um, regular exhaust driven turbos um, on that engine, and Audi is also doing this on the um, the SQ7 engine. Uh, so they're uh, you know in that case you know rather than packaging them in a single unit like like BMTS is doing uh, and Baleo or no Honeywell, which is now Garrett Turbo Systems, they spun it off Garrett. So Garrett and BMTS are both doing these e-turbos, uh, which pack which combine an exhaust-driven turbo and an e-compressor into a single unit. The e-compressors can't do the regener the energy re- recuperation because there's nothing there's no exhaust gases driving it. So they use right. they use a smaller e-compressor for low RPM operation, you know, to to get that initial burst of a boost, um, and until the uh, exhaust-driven turbos build up boost. And then it switches over. Some of the uh, the vehicle, some of the OEMs that are using uh, BMTS turbos, uh, Bentley, uh, you know, Volkswagen Group has it on, on a number of vehicles. The the Jetta, one point four liter uh, TSI, has a BMTS turbo in it. It's a conventional one. It's not it's not uh, an e turbo. Uh, Bentley, the Bentley Bentayga, uh, has um, BMTS turbos on it. There's a number of manufacturers that are that are using BMTS turbos in production today. And the the e turbos should be coming out in the next couple of years. And they do OEM and they do aftermarket. Although yep. I'm assuming you're not going to see. And they also do commercial vehicle applications. So they make big turbos for trucks as well. Very big. Those yes, those <laughs> like like the ones you see on like mining. Yeah, the big massive ones. 
<laughs> that some some schmuck will buy and like bolt to their their you know two J's yeah or whatever. Uh, oh, and you cool. say turbo really lag. Cool. Yeah, that's okay. Once it once the boost is in, <laughs> it's all in. <laughs> yeah. All right, we are we are out of boost. Yeah. <laughs> and next time we'll be back with Rebecca. Um, so be the, the whole gang again. Um, and uh, that's it for tonight. All right. Well, hey, thanks everybody for listening, and we will catch you next time. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.